Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I sort of semi-woke up, but not really with it. And I do remember him getting me to try and squeeze both his hands and um, my left hand I couldn't squeeze at all and everything was all a bit foggy worse than before I sat down and he did all these sort of trying to get me to do these things and I just couldn't function my left side of my body and he actually said to me he said darling I think you've had a stroke we're going to have to call an ambulance because of the severity of it they decided it was that they put me in a coma for at least a week. And apparently they tried to bring me round, but decided that, nope, my body's not ready. So they put me back under. I suffered all sorts of complications, apparently, during those two weeks. But my poor family, yeah, they were just expecting the worst. My mother was preparing to have me expatriated back to the UK. I just tried to remember as many things as I could and forced myself to sort of speak as best I could. And my right side of my body, we did a lot of work with, and that slowly came back over a course of a couple of weeks, but absolutely nothing on the left side of my body at all. I had two clots, and then I had a major bleed as well. And before they brought me out of the coma, the family were again said well she's alive but forget the person that you knew the best case scenario is either she's a complete vegetable or have locked in syndrome those are the two best options you're going to be left with hello i'm mark goodyear welcome to the fourth season of stroke stories the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors Strokes cause around 54 deaths per 100,000 people in the UK. And between the year 2000 and 2019, the mortality rate from strokes has more than halved in Britain. In this episode, we'll hear from Helen Bratton from Wells, who suffered a stroke at the age of 36. Life before my stroke, well, it's certainly very different to what it is now. I was an established equestrian rider. I rode dressage for the country. Under 21, I went to university and became an estate agent. I got married at 32, had our first daughter at 33. My husband got offered a job in Italy and we moved out there. We first of all were living in Tuscany on the coast, but he got a fantastic job offer down near Rome for an important Rome family. So we leapt at the opportunity and actually that opportunity probably saved my life. 
It was a glorious hot summer's day where we were living. We had access to a pool. It was my husband's day off and he quite often didn't spend his days off with us. He would do things with the family that we were working for. And anyway, he was home and the whole plan of the day was we were going to spend it by the pool, making happy memories with the kids, with the sun shining. But I woke up that morning and felt there's no other word to describe it but off, almost though I was hungover and had low blood sugar. We've all been there. And I muddled through and kept insisting I'd be fine. I just needed a swim. And I remember going to get a cherry yogurt because I thought maybe I need something to eat. And then my husband said he just wanted to have a shower before we went up to the swimming pool. I knew it wasn't a hangover because I miraculously hadn't drunk much the night before. But I did have a very severe drinking problem for many years prior. It wasn't the cause of the stroke, but certainly no good for my health. Anyway, so I thought I'll sit down for a bit just to relax. And I remember hearing him come in because I had a girl from England, a friend of mine's daughter, helping us with the kids that summer give her an opportunity of seeing a bit of Italy and to have a nice summer holiday herself. And he came in and I remember hearing the words, how long she been like that? And the dear girl just said, I don't know. And I sort of semi woke up, but not really with it. And I do remember him getting me to try and squeeze both his hands. Um, My left hand, I couldn't squeeze at all. And everything was all a bit foggy worse than before I sat down and he did all these sort of trying to get me to do these things and I just couldn't function my left side of my body and he actually said to me he said darling I think you've had a stroke we're gonna have to call an ambulance and I was sort of what rubbish what does he know so he called his boss to arrange an ambulance because we were still quite new to the area and he wasn't sure what to do ambulance turned up and I was sort of put on the stretcher our friend that was staying she got the kids out the way so they weren't witnessing any of it and I do remember getting to the hospital and it being confirmed I'd had a stroke and I I was completely calm I thought I'll try not to swear but some rather harsh words sort of I remember thinking in my mind and I thought that's it I'm done for this is death and I felt absolutely fine about it and I knew it must be bad because they'd taken off all my jewellery and that to me is always a sign that something's really bad is going on and I sort of remember being told that I had to be put into a helicopter to go to a different hospital And I luckily found out it's because the drugs that they gave me to unclock my blood were not working. And I sort of remember being put into the helicopter and thinking this is quite exciting. But I must have been sedated because as much as I would have wanted to sort of know what was going on and things, other times I've been in ambulances, I'm always very aware of what's going on and try and put my own medical knowledge to use. And so I was airlifted from the local hospital into the main hospital in Rome. And that's as far as my memory takes me. And when I 
eventually came round two weeks later because I was put into a coma for two weeks. I was told that after a lot of complications that it was a 10-hour operation and my family were told she's toast, she won't make it, but the people we were working for, he was very good friends with the head neurology surgeon in Rome. So he called him up and said, make sure it's you working on this woman that's been brought in. But my family were told there was no way I was going to make it. My mother had been told she was still in the UK and tried to get over as soon as she could. And she landed the next day, but everyone was still holding their breath, really. But because of the severity of it, they decided it as that they put me in a coma for at least a week. And apparently they tried to bring me round, but decided that, nope, my body's not ready. So they put me back under. I suffered all sorts of complications, apparently, during those two weeks. But my poor family, yeah, they were just expecting the worst. My mother was preparing to have me expatriated back to the UK at vast expense. But we stayed put. And coming round, I couldn't speak at all. I couldn't move either side of my body. My sister-in-law, who flew over, she was the only one who could sort of understand my mutterings. And I just try to remember as many things as I could and forced myself to sort of speak as best I could. And my right side of my body, we did a lot of work with. And that slowly came back over a course of a couple of weeks, but absolutely nothing on the left side of my body at all. Helen's condition was so serious, doctors weren't sure if she'd survived the operation. They went in via my groin. I had two clots and then I had a major bleed as well. And before they brought me out of the coma, the family were again said, well, she's alive, but forget the person that you knew. The best case scenario is either she's a complete vegetable or have locked-in syndrome. Those are the two best options you're going to be left with, which obviously must have been devastating for my family. But... I'm always been pretty stubborn. I think that helped me a lot. And I just tried remembering as many things. My husband, he didn't know the pin code for our banking or anything. So I had to sort of force my mind to remember things. And I was coming up with all kinds of things. And people were like, how the hell is this happening? Every day I sort of shocked them with my progress. So yeah, I was incredibly, incredibly lucky. I got every infection under the sun. So I ended up being in medical hospital for three and a half months until I was well enough to move to rehab. And again, over there, I went to the most amazing rehab center. They deal with a lot of casualties of war and all sorts there. And it was an amazing team, but quite a scary time to say the least. And my two young children it must have been just horrendous for them mummy just suddenly disappearing they weren't allowed to come and see me in the medical hospital well one day they did arrange for them to come I had to be put into a special room and my son he was only just over a year old and mummy went in with long blonde hair but they had to chop it all off because in my coma it had formed this bird's nest where they couldn't brush it and all getting to all the 
wires and leads that were attached to my head and he completely freaked out. My daughter, I remember her just lying on my tummy and cuddling me, which was great. But my son, it's taken several years to reestablish that connection. So I just each day forced myself feel a bit better, deal with all the tests. At one point, they thought I had cancer as well. They thought I had bladder cancer, so I had all those checks and things, and it was really quite hideous. But I just thought, I've just got to deal with it. I'm alive. I've got to just get through it somehow, anyhow, for my kids, my family. So then two and a half months in rehab, I was allowed out for weekends which was lovely. And my mother decided to celebrate her 70th birthday out in Italy where we were living because there was a restaurant there. Um, my husband's family came over as well. So it was a, I was so pleased that I was able to be there and no one expected me to be able to be there. They thought next thing would be that they would be attending my funeral, not my mother's 70th birthday. She also had terminal cancer at the time and she'd already bought her plot to be buried and the plan was that's where I'd be. Coming up, how Helen battled addiction during her recovery. I was drinking really heavily behind the scenes. Every night I was getting through a couple of bottles of wine and addiction did take hold and I suffered really bad anxiety and depression which is very common with alcoholism. And looking on the positive side. Actually, in reflection, I've said this to some people, and they're like, are you crazy? But my stroke, it, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me. It's really made me who I was always meant to be. Let's hear how Helen's stroke continues to impact her body. I'm left with left side hemoplegia. I managed to gain enough movement in my hip to swing my leg, but I've got absolutely no movement at all below my knee. So I rely on orthotics. My left arm is completely just useless. I moved back to the UK after the Christmas that I was released out of hospital because my mother was declining and she was a complete rock in our family should come over and help the kids and she was like I can't keep on doing this in Italy there's no benefit system to give carers my husband had to work and I felt a complete liability so the decision was made I'd come back to England a to redo my driving test because if I'd stayed in Italy I'd have to have redone it in Italian Whereas if I came back to England, I would just have to redo my test and then transfer my licence. So that seemed a much better option. And I continued some physiotherapy back in England, lived with my mother, who was brilliant with the kids. I was given a carer through the council, which helped obviously my mother a lot. She gradually got worse and needed her own care, at which point I was well enough to rent my own house and I actually returned to work for a while but my drinking had escalated badly and I could have quite easily have just sat there and just drunk my life away 
but I yeah thought yeah get a job I had enough mental clarity I thought to get a job locally which was just in a call center but it was really a stepping stone but I was drinking really heavily behind the scenes every night I was getting through a couple of bottles of wine and addiction did take hold and I suffered really bad anxiety and depression which is very common with alcoholism and I actually got signed off work for about a year and then I went into work and we both agreed it was best that I not return because I just wasn't in a fit state. My mother then passed away. My husband and I, we ended up divorcing because he didn't want to return to England. He had a fantastic life out in Italy. And so it was just the kids and I, and then lost my mum to cancer. And we thought, right, now we need to move to a place that can be our home. So we moved to a city near where my sister lives as my next of kin. And I just wanted to get the kids settled because they'd had so much instability through their younger years. Every day I've got to do something to make myself better. I have since overcome my alcoholism. I'm in recovery. I haven't now drunk for three years. I was self-medicating with my prescribed medicines along with the alcohol and I got into a right pickle. But I had a realisation when I was in hospital after the first day of walking that I'm alive and I am alive for a reason. So I've got to make this as good as I can make it. So I put extra effort into all my sessions with my awesome physio and really thought I've got to grab this with both hands and make the best of it. And that's sort of been my ethos ever since. When I got signed off work, my carer at that time was taking the kids to school. So I I could drink as much as I wanted. I was getting suicidal again. Literally every time I drank, I just couldn't see the wood through the trees. And I just wanted to kill myself. It was really dark place. And a friend said to me, she said, Helen, do you think you've got a drinking problem? Because we were putting out my recycling. Well, she was. I was just getting a breath of fresh air. And I was like, no, don't be so stupid. And again, drank far too much that night. Was busy plotting how I was going to take my life. And I phoned another friend who I knew was in recovery. And I said, do you think I'm an alcoholic? She said, I can't answer that one for you. It's self-diagnosed. Go onto this website. And she gave me a website and I did a quiz. I was so excited, the fact that I got 100%. And it was such a relief that that was probably the reason I was struggling so badly that I thought, yeah, I've got to get over this. And I've got to stop. But I tried stopping before and there was nothing absolutely nothing that could stop me from picking up I tried and tried and couldn't but each day I've now got a very set routine that I have to better my mind I have completely retrained to 
be able to form my own business now. As Tony Robbins, the wonderful man who I find so inspiring, he's a bit of a mentor, really. I really look up to him. But you change your story and you change your life. But the biggest thing for me was acceptance that I am disabled. There's nothing we can do about that. I'm alive. but I've just got to accept the fact that I can't run around with my children, which that for me is the hardest thing and being able to do craft with them and things. But the fact that they've got me at all is just incredible. And I've just got to embrace that. And I really changed my strategy of thinking about everything in life. So it was embracing what I can do, not what I can't. What are the solutions that are going to make my life better? I had to change my story of what could have been poor me, poor me. Look at me. I'm disabled. I can't do this. I can't do that. It's like, no, I can do this. And as I said, I've now overcome the addiction. And I've met some wonderful, wonderful people along the way. I've managed to write my first book. And I've got another one partway through. And so it's all about living my best life because I made the decision and took action. I think it's all about action. Every morning, I've got a very set routine of how I start my day because every day is a great day. Yeah, life happens, but I can deal with it. And... Actually, in reflection, I've said this to some people, and they're like, are you crazy? But my stroke, it it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me. It's really made me who I was always meant to be. Helen thinks it's important to be as proactive as you can during your recovery. What I would give the best advice to a stroke survivor, take action. You can build on what you have not what you don't have and for the loved ones be patient be kind and tolerant I was very lucky that I had my mother and my wonderful carers and support within the home but to the loved ones yeah be patient and it's very easy for the stroke survivor to feel that they're a burden. That was my biggest reason for leaving my husband because I just felt a burden to him and I didn't want to destroy his life. But it was the best thing for both of us. He's now happily remarried but went through a really dark time himself. And don't be afraid to reach out for help. Talk to other people. There's no shame in asking for help whatsoever. I wish I had addressed my mental health far sooner. I'm very lucky that I've now really come to terms with it. I suffered adverse childhood experiences, which have come to light through dealing with other matters. And yeah, my stroke, I wouldn't have done any of this. So 
I'm a firm believer, I'm very spiritual, that things do happen for a reason. And yes, it sucks. It really does. But you can still make the best of it. You're alive, so really embrace what you do have. The years following Helen's stroke were incredibly difficult. She had to face recovery, addiction and the loss of her mother. But talking to her today, she's become an incredibly resilient and positive person who's intent on helping others through their stroke recovery. Thank you for supporting us at Stroke Stories. You can subscribe to our podcast on your preferred provider and please do rate and comment on the episodes to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please get in touch via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.